Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Hey everyone, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and I am here in our studio with Stu Magnuson, the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Christine. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So, Stu, I know you've worked at um, National Defense Magazine for a while now. Can you give our audience um, an overview of the magazine? Um, I know it's published by NDIA, and kind of we can start from there. Sure. National Defense Industrial Association is our publisher. We uh, just celebrated our 100th anniversary uh, last year. So the magazine actually came along uh, about six or seven months after the association was founded after World War uh, I. So our actual birthday for the magazine is coming up uh, in July. So it began as Army Ordnance Magazine which was very specific, obviously. And that was an association that believed very much that at the outset of World War I that America was not prepared as far as its equipment uh, to go to war. They didn't want to ever see that happen again. So that's why the association was founded. Of course, it was Army Ordnance. But uh, that kind of mission has never really gone away, preparedness. So it changed. The association changed names. The magazine changed names. Uh, eventually, the association morphed into something that's more general mm-hmm. uh, now, just covering all the national defense, okay. all the services, Coast Guard, Homeland Security. It's all kind of under our purview. And our, the magazine goes out mostly to our members, okay. who are members of industry, uh, defense industrial base, mm-hmm. government, people who work in the acquisition community, and so on. How many members do you have? Uh, I think we have about uh, 1,700 corporate members. Okay. I don't know off the top of my head about mm-hmm. individuals. And they get the magazine monthly? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. We have a website, and so that's where we kind of put our more perishable news or stuff that's not going to make it to the magazine. So we do do some daily coverage also. Okay. So what are some of the key topics that you cover for each of these audiences? Well, I like to say, at least in the world of uh, defense, everything under the sun. So I get that question a lot, uh, or what do you cover? What beats do you cover? We have a very small staff, Mm -hmm. actually. Everybody covers everything. Sure. So I could be, uh, one of my reporters could be writing about uh, a high-tech communication, military communication satellite, and uh, the replacement for the Humvee truck all in the same month. Mm -hmm. So everything under the sun, really, has to do with tech or Mm -hmm. acquiring technology of any kind. So you must have seen, like, such an interesting evolution, you know, over the years that you've been there. And in the types of um, topics, you know, there are a lot more mm. cybersecurity, I'm sure, satellite yes. space. Right. Um, anything interesting that you've observed through that? Well, yeah, I began at the magazine about 15 years ago. The word smartphone hadn't really even been coined. I remember the day I was sitting at my desk and somebody sent me a press release about the cloud. <laughs> what? Cloud? What's that? You know, so. Yeah. You know, they think they think I knew what thin client server was, but somebody came up with a better name for it. So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, this 
it's technology and society is changing very rapidly. Sure. And then the military picks up on that. Sometimes the military's out ahead. Mm-hmm. And of course, then the military has some unique items mm-hmm. that only they they want and produce. So. So how do you plan? So I'm looking at actually in front of me is the centennial issue. It's really cool. It's like black and silver and shining. Love it. Um, so how do you plan? Um, kind of like what's in each monthly issue versus what's online and your editorial calendar. How does that sort of map out from your perspective? Well, that was a special issue for our 100th anniversary. Uh, Like I said, the actual magazine, its 100th anniversary is coming up in July. Mm -hmm. But the association wanted to celebrate last year, so that's a little bit premature, but that's going to be our uh, big issue. So uh, initially the magazine was a lot of contributors. Mm-hmm. It was all contributors, actually, experts, some scientific, very kind of academic articles. But through the years, we morphed into what we are now, more of a journalistic-based uh, publication. Mm-hmm. So as journalists, uh, we want to do what every journalist to do, serve the readers. Sure. So who are our readers? The people I mentioned earlier, uh, people in the defense industrial base, the government, lawmakers, people interested in this acquisition of military technology. So that's where we start. How can we best serve the readers? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as the editorial calendar, that's something we map out uh, probably late in the year for the f- next year. And uh, lately I've been trying to make sure the editorial themes each month are attached to some big conference. Okay. Yeah, that's a new thing. And I think uh, that's what the advertisers want. They really come out for these big shows, mm-hmm. big uh, trade shows. What are some of the big shows that you're really watching closely this year? Well, well, there's some that we go to every year. Now, National Defense Industrial Association puts on a lot of its own conferences, but as a magazine and journalists, we're agnostic. Mm-hmm. We go where the news is. Sure. So uh, we go to other associations' conferences and our conferences as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so some of the ones I got coming up in the near future is uh, NDIA show on tactical wheel vehicles, uh, which is basically all the trucks that don't shoot. Okay. And uh, so we'll be attending that. It's in Austin, Texas. Some people may know that Army Futures Command relocated to Austin, Texas. So now there seems to be more conferences gravitating towards that city. So uh, yeah. which I really enjoy because it's a great city. Mm-hmm. So. After that, yeah, the Space Symposium, Space Force, I think that's going to be a really big show this year. Uh, Space Force getting underway. Mm-hmm. It's going to be headquartered there in Colorado Springs where they hold that conference every year. So uh, we'll be there. We're always at that one. Then uh, all the services have big shows put on by associations. Mm-hmm. The Air Force Association has a couple big shows a year. The Navy League has a big show in April. Uh, Army has a couple big shows, one uh, coming up next month, but they're big ones every every year in October mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C. Okay. We're always at those. So Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's interesting. We think about how the defense industry has really given us that IoT type of thing as we know it from ships to planes and just a ton of technology coming every single day out of the defense industry. So... What else like, should people be watching um, this sector trailblazing? Drones, AI, like, you know, what are you seeing out there? Um, 5G. I think you're hitting on uh, what I think is an equation. Okay. AI plus 5G. Oh, okay. 
And Let's dig into are, that one. These are two very powerful uh, technologies that are not necessarily being developed by and for the military, but will greatly affect our society and, of course, therefore, our military. So we're talking about extremely powerful computers connecting to extremely fast connectivity, mm -hmm. 20 times faster than what you have now. Computers that are going seven, eight mm -hmm. times faster than what you have now. So these yeah. two things together are very powerful. And I think people are going to start seeing the effects of this in their daily lives. Okay. And, uh, of course, the military, too. So what's like an, what do you think is an implication of that or an effect of it? Well, uh, the military for many years have wanted more connectivity. They want connectivity between their platforms. They want connectivity between the services. And uh, so that's very tricky. A lot of these platforms are developed in what they call stovepipes. So very famously, the F-22 uh, jet fighter and the F-35 jet fighter, which are actually built by the same manufacturer, couldn't communicate between each other. So they're fixing, they're fixing that now. Sure. We're mm -hmm. trying to anyway. But that's just kind of an example of kind of the, the old way of thinking. Well, now, if you have a battlefield where things are chap, uh, changing faster than humans can think, so that's what the military is very concerned about, mm -hmm. and uh, so that means the computer's got to be in there, in the loop, somewhere, making maybe decisions faster mm -hmm. than human can, or spotting something. Yeah, that's an, that's can. amazing, especially considering that, you know, it's been. I mean, you guys have all been covering this. Or the magazine association has been around for a hundred years. It's just amazing to think about since pre World War One how it has changed and evolved to AI plus five G. Right. Yeah. Of course. And even like I said, since I've started the job mm -hmm. fifteen years ago, right. There's a lot of changes. A lot of trends have come and gone. Mm -hmm. So I always ask this question too, and I think now's a good time as ever. What do you think will be one of the biggest stories in twenty twenty? I think the uh, creation of the Space Force, mm -hmm. uh, number one, uh, will take up a lot of uh, journalist time. Okay. It's a done deal now, but now what? So this is probably something that hasn't happened in any of my colleagues' lifetime, so we've kicked off basically a new branch of the service. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're taking, the military's taking baby steps towards it, so mm -hmm. that's very interesting. Yeah. So what things are you looking to explore, you know, on that topic? Satellites. Mm -hmm. Big, expensive objects that the Air Force did a pretty bad job of fielding in a timely manner. And that was really at the root, one of the roots of why they wanted to create a Space Force. The other was the fact that they believe space is now just its own war fighting mm -hmm. domain. But the fact that space is now its own war, own war finding domain means that you have to come up with spacecraft that are more survivable and more have systems that are more flexible that you can expect that they're going to be attacked and so on. Well, the Air Force dragged its feet for a lot of years on uh, developing these new satellites. They're just now kind of putting forth some ideas. Uh, to go forward in that. So uh, I think that's going to be a pretty big mm -hmm. story. Okay. We've got to figure out a way to more rapidly uh, uh, develop and field space systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I imagine that's going to be a huge, huge 
anything moving forward beyond 2020, just into the next couple of decades, really. And it's interesting to see how that evolves over time. Um, so, I mean, as you're exploring these topics and writing about them and interviewing resources, which one interests you the most? Like you have to learn about all these and kind of become a subject matter expert to an extent on each of these topics. And I'm sure that's a huge undertaking, like to learn. Uh, the, the learning curve never ends yeah. in a job like this. We cover, within the world of defense, there are so many other worlds, you know. Oh yeah, yeah 100%. You, you talk, we just talked about space, then there's cyber. Yeah, it's There's securing all these um, machines and trucks, yeah. We just had a story about advanced powertrains for tr vehicles. Maybe not the most glamorous thing, but, you know, it, it uh, provides a lot of battlefield energy mm -hmm. and power. For ground troops, we've written about the Army's uh, effort to field a new squad weapon. So we're, right, we're all the way down to the actual guns. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite end, the laser cannons and so on. The, rail gun the Navy wants to uh, mm -hmm. field, directed energy. So uh, It's endless amount I, of learning. I'd say my expertise <laughs> is more like an inch deep yeah. and a mile wide sure. than, than I'm a subject matter expert on anything <laughs> in particular. So what is, I guess, what is your process for learning about some of these topics, like getting that, that inch deep on a lot of these, um, this whole gamut of different topics? Yeah, going to these conferences, I think... Uh, they're kind of low-hanging fruit for journalists. Yeah. A lot of these military people that are kind of hard to get to are there and might be available. Uh, so that's why we all get, the journalists all get geared up for these big shows. Mm -hmm. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. And otherwise, you got to go through a lot of uh, public affairs people to get an interview. Yeah. And uh, some services are better than others. Mm -hmm. Some divisions within the services are better than others uh, some some uh, of the upper uh, echelons of the Pentagon some are very open to journalists they they have a uh, very good dialogue mm -hmm. where their counterpart in another office you hear nothing from them so yeah. it's very much hit and miss so if you see one of these guys uh, giving a speech at a conference uh, as far as the reporters this is your opportunity. Okay. So it sounds like getting in front of the right people and like asking them questions and you know using them as resources when you can. Yeah. Sometimes just a sentence in a in a show can get you. Say, well, sure. That's a really interesting thing. I never really thought about that before. Mm -hmm. You know, and get set you off on a story or, or something, a trend piece or something. Yeah. No, that sounds that sounds interesting and always exciting and always different every day, right? Um, and I know I wanted to bring up one of the articles that you wrote. I'm actually pulling it up. This is the one um, from 20, July 2019, why I didn't stop by your conference booth. Yeah. That, that received a, a little bit of feedback, right? Yeah, mostly positive. Uh, so what inspired this? What this inspired article? this was a trade show that I attended in July. And uh, for these big shows, we get a lot of advanced requests to come by uh, the vendor's booth to interview their executive and so on or see a new product or something and uh, we're kind of inundated so I kind of wanted to inundated as in like a hundred emails a day inundated I wouldn't say a hundred but <laughs> a week I don't know I wouldn't say a hundred but uh, you know enough to you have to rack and stack them and sure. prioritize them and uh, so that was a little bit of a rant but I think people found it useful. I heard a lot of feedback that 
uh, from PR agencies. And people said, oh, I got that afforded to everybody I work for. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I kind of start off with, you know, send your press release. Some real basics, I think. You know, write your press release in plain English. You know, you may think I know everything about cybersecurity and all these acronyms, but no, I don't, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, down to, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to come by your trade booth and I'm going to write a story on your product, which happens, it does happen, nice little free publicity for everybody. And and uh, when we see something really exciting and new, we love to do that, mm-hmm. bring the, the attention to, the, to that. But, you know, have some art for me because mm-hmm. I have to post it online and I gotta have a picture. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I get there and I do an interview, then I say, all right, I need a picture. And then they start scratching their heads and oh, I gotta email somebody back yeah. at headquarters and, and then I'm waiting two days for it. But I wanna get this story out the door. Absolutely. So so that's kind of a thing I'm kind of instigating is I, I'm asking ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of art you got for this right. ahead of time? You got some JPEGs for me. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I mean, writing your press releases in plain English makes sense, having art for you. Any other main takeaways from that piece that you wanted to get across? Yeah, it's just that we're so busy at these shows. Yeah. I mean, if you have a keynote speech with a general, uh, you know, that's kind of your first thing. Mm-hmm. And then panels with interesting people on it might be your second. And then that general might have a press availability. Sometimes they tell you in advance they're going to do that. Sometimes it's like, oh, you hear that, like 15, 20 minutes Oh, the general's gonna, you know, talk to reporters mm-hmm. uh, in this room. So suddenly you're going, you know, it's like, well, I don't want my competition, to, you know, get in there, and I'm gonna be left out. So, so, uh, so that's another priority. So when you talk about stopping by a trade booth, mm-hmm. it's kind of down the list a bit. And some shows, especially the ones in Washington D.C., I can send my whole staff. Right, and local. Mm-hmm. Out of town shows with I have a travel budget. I got to adhere to. I might send one person. Mm-hmm. So that one person's covering the whole show themselves. So, uh, but that being said, at least for me, I like to you know take a spin around the the, the uh, exhibition floor mm-hmm. if they have one. You know, at least once a show to see. See what's going on. Sometimes I spot something that nobody sent me a press release on. Yeah, look at that. That's cool. (laughs) And I stop an interview, and suddenly I got a great story. Just yeah. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Big trade show in London in in uh, September. Just walked by, and this guy seemed to have an aircraft made out of wood, which you don't see every day. No. So uh, I stop and talk to him, and he's he's got a glider that is very much. uh, a disposable kind of a way to deliver uh, goods to somebody at Ford Operating Base. Like oh, wow. Let's say there's a Marine mm-hmm. out in the middle of Afghanistan at Ford Operating Base. They can uh, actually drop this glider and it self-guides itself and lands at that base with a certain number of kilos of okay. uh, food, water, yeah. ammunition, whatever. That's made out of wood. They just That's dispose it. of it. And it, it's uh, inexpensive. Yeah, resource. I posted that story, and everyone just it kind of like wow. blew up for a couple days because everyone's like, "Wow!" Did he have a picture of it available for you? He did. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. That's great. That's cool. Um, and then outside of National Defense Magazine, please tell us about your life as an author. I know you've written several books. 
um, focusing on the Midwest, right, or West? Well, I'd say the West. The West, yeah. yeah. I'm from Nebraska originally. Mm-hmm. I kind of. Uh, uh, kind of an amateur historian, I guess you would say, as far as the uh, history of the West and just kind of my interest and passion. So uh, I know I could probably maybe write some books about military technology and mm-hmm. and they have a great platform and all that stuff, but I kind of feel if I'm going to do some writing outside of the 9 to 5 parameter, mm-hmm. I'd like to write some stuff that I'm more passionate about. Yeah. might not make me a ton of money or anything or make me famous, but I enjoy it. So. so how many books have you written? Um, five nonfiction books. Okay. On the West? One novel, yeah. Okay. The novel was uh, actually about the uh, subway gas attacks in Japan, where I was living at the time. Okay. It happened, so. Wow. But uh, that's quite different from the other five. Yeah. Books. So I guess, um, and I guess one of the listener questions we had, too, was like, so I know you said you were born in um, or raised in Nebraska. So what is your draw to the topic? Does it love for history co- combined with the West? Or is there anything that draws you to that in particular? Yeah, I'm very much uh, a Nebraskan at heart. Okay. Kinda, you take the boy out of the country, <laughs> not the country out of the boy. And I've been living on the East Coast and probably will the rest of my life. But, but I go back a lot. I love the land, the people, mm-hmm. the history of of my state and uh, and just the West in general. Mm-hmm. The last few books I've written uh, were about an interesting highway called Highway 83. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read that one on your, on your yeah, site. Yeah, and that extends from North Dakota all the way to Texas. Wow. So these were kind of hybrid travel history books. They were books about my travels on the highway combined with interesting historical vignettes that I come across uh, on my travels. Sounds and interesting. So, uh, I had to do a real deep dive into Texas history, which was great. So yeah, I really appreciated. That's that an interesting. History. That's an interesting look at though, like looking at the highway and the things that maybe happened on it, you know. And it's just sound, it sounds like a really interesting topic, so I recommend people check that one out. Yeah, there are three books. It ended up being three books. So, wow. uh, if you're interested in just the Texas history, there's a Texas book, mm-hmm. and then there's a Dakota's book, and then there's a middle book on Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma. Okay, very cool. Good to know. We have a couple other listener questions that people sent in. Um, I will go through them. I think we've touched on them a little bit, but the first one is, since you've covered a wide variety of topics in your 15 now years um, at the magazine, is there one particular story that stands out as one of your favorites? I guess uh, I started out at Space News covering uh, space in general, Mm -hmm. another publication which is still around, and uh, very well-known, kind of the Bible of the space industry. That's kind of where I first got my feet wet with uh, space topics, but it goes much further back than that to when I was five years old and watching the Apollo moon landing, Mm -hmm. kind of completely gripped. So I've always been kind of a space geek. I have a little collection of space items, what we call true space and the collector's. So I got a lot of astronaut stuff and NASA kind of collectibles and so on. And if you ever stop by my office, you'll see a couple of them. Very cool. So space has always had a special place mm-hmm. for me. So is that is there a story related to space that you find is one of your, your favorite stories that you've written or just the topic in general? Well, I mean, I first... Uh, uh, this is my small claim to fame. Oh. I broke the story that Elon Musk wanted to get into the space business. Okay, there it is. Yeah. So, you heard it here. <laughs> uh, it was buried on on page 48 of Space News, I think that. Okay. Was. And not even in the first paragraph, but uh, 
I was at a small conference in uh, in California. I was living there at the time, and I have no idea who he was. <laughs> no idea, except they introduced him as this PayPal billionaire at the conference. I go, oh, so he's got a billion dollars, and he announced at the conference that he wants to get into space. So I kind of interviewed him afterwards. He actually said he wanted to get into building satellites at that conference, hmm. which is not what he ended up doing. And then you interviewed him after? I, I tried. <laughs> I tried. They said I was living in El Segundo, California, and they set up their office in El Segundo the next month. And I tried to get a follow-up interview as long as I was living there. It's like, there. hey, I already talked to you. <laughs> yeah, I tried. To, I tried. And uh, there was a lot of skepticism at the time because there had been other billionaires who had declared that they wanted to get sure. into space. Then they found out how expensive it was and how hard it was. Uh, and they've gotten out of it. So, but obviously we know what happened with Elon Musk. So, so that's my very a kind of small little scoop claim to fame. Mm, I like so, it. Yeah. Good to know. Um, and then another question from a listener is, what are some of the topics you plan to cover in 2020? Well, right now, uh, NDI has a lot of small businesses, and there's. Don't make me say what the acronym stands for, <laughs> CMMC. Uh, I'm pretty sure one of those C's is certification. So basically, uh, if you are a small business defense contractor, you have to certify that you are cyber secure. Okay. This is a big area of concern. Uh, uh, and they're rolling out actually kind of a 1.0 version of the rules uh, tomorrow. We'll be there at the Pentagon when they roll that out. And uh, I'm sure this probably podcast will be probably aired later, but yeah. uh, so that's a big concern for our readers. Uh, okay. And uh, so that's something we're gonna be following for sure. Noted, okay. Do you have the rest of your topics mapped out, you think, for the year already in your editorial calendar? Yeah, we, we have an editorial calendar. We're gonna be at Eurosatori, the big show in Paris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're gonna have NATO's arm, NATO arms market as a theme in June. Uh, and uh, moving forward to September is always the big Air Force show. There's also a Marine Corps show. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to experiment with is uh, alternative covers uh, this year. So every year I can't decide whether I'm going to put an Air Force cover or a Marine Corps cover. Okay. Usually I give the Marine Corps a little part in the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to experiment this year with uh, printing up about 500 copies with an alternative Marine Corps cover. Okay, neat. And so that will be distributed at the Marine Corps show. So I think hopefully cool. adver advertisers might respond to that. Yeah, I think they like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very nice. And I also wanted to mention AR, augmented yep. reality. Yeah, so we did that for our uh, November issue. Uh, there was a lot of videos that NDI produced for its own anniversary that was mm -hmm. in there. But going forward, using uh, AR, we have an application. You can find it on the apps, uh, both the app stores, Apple and Google. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so uh, you can download that. You put it above the uh, image in the magazine, and it comes to life basically on your phone. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Okay, and, that's uh, neat. So I got, you know, you use it to some effect. I went to some training, uh, Marine Corps training out in California, and I took a bunch of video just with my iPhone, and we splice them all together. So 
the readers could actually put their phone up there and actually mm-hmm. see the Marines training in a mock village. That's really cool. I was going to ask, that That actually goes to another question I was going to ask you kind of about, you know, you have a print magazine, you have online, I know um, there's a ton of social media, you know, the news landscape has just changed immensely, like, you know, a lot of news is generated through social media now, and I was going to ask you about how, um, you know, National Defense Magazine has kind of evolved with with those times, you know, being a publication that still has a print edition. Hire millennials as your staff writers. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There's a good strategy. Yeah. Uh, but I like the AR component that you guys have going on. That's really neat. Yeah. I, I, another thing I hope maybe advertise. we haven't tried it yet, but advertisers might be interested in that. Think about an ad where they could also oh, yeah. put your phone above the ad and there'll be some video that they want to they show. Mm-hmm. So I think that's coming. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, so... As far as social media, yeah, we're across everywhere, mm-hmm. from LinkedIn to uh, uh, Facebook, and uh, of course Twitter, and uh, it, it's it's time consuming. It does oh, take yeah. some part. There's so of many your day. different platforms now, and just different things you have to keep up with. Yeah, so I kind of parse it out. We have kind of one person does the Facebook. Uh-huh. I do the LinkedIn. Okay. And uh, other people uh, doing the Twitter. So. So that kind of helps with the time management. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, boy, you can sit there all day yeah, sure doing can. that stuff, and then you're not going to get any. I hate to say real <laughs> work done, but that's my attitude. Is as a yeah, you got to have the content. Yeah. You got to have the content. Right. Um, no, this has been a really good discussion, Steve. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to talk about? No, I just uh, really appreciate coming in, and uh, yeah, and uh, I do read those press releases. <laughs> first couple sentences. I just can't respond to all of them all, so mm-hmm. uh, no. But the ones that do catch my eye, I do give. Uh, you know, I do kind of we pursue. So, and uh, maybe it's something we don't want to pursue right now. But sometimes a press release comes in, and it's you know just lucky. Hey, we just happen to be working on that story, right? And I'll send it to one of my reporters. Can you yeah. give this person a call? Excellent. So I don't want to sound like <laughs> press releases are being ignored, but mm-hmm. a good one. You know, a good one is definitely not ignored, right? right. You want to make and sure it's timely. One. Timely, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, I think that's about it. But Great. Well, we've definitely learned a lot in this past half hour, so I really appreciate you coming in and answering a lot of our questions. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, have a great rest of your day. And everyone, this has been Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds with Stu Magnuson, the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. 